Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Greetings, constant listeners. It's me, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and that is a fitting nickname for today because uh, it's the 40th anniversary of Creepshow, one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite Stephen King movies, and certainly one of my favorite George A. Romero movies. So what are we doing here today? Well, we decided, because we're big fans of this movie, hell, we just had a film festival for three days in its name, we thought, well, we ranked all the vignettes back in, God, what was it, 2017, so we can't do that. We can share that link again and you know, there's not a lot of mileage to get out of it. But what do we have? We already talked to Greg Nicotero twice. Ah, geez. Well, oh my God. Back in 2020, the one of the worst years of all time, um, one of the best times we had was hopping on Zoom with uh, Daniel Krause, New York Times bestselling author, uh, who at the time had just published The Living Dead, which was his uh, collaboration with the late George A. Romero. And because I really wanted him on, and we were all, the dead was on the mind, uh, we decided to do a crate episode on its very namesake, Creep Show. So, what you're about to hear is that episode, which was only for our patrons at the time, which was locked away in the Dairy Private Library, which you can unlock yourself if you become a member of the, our Patreon, www.patreon.com/slash the Barons. But right now, just sit back and relax because you got about 90 minutes of us carving through. One of the best horror movies of all time, and I don't think that's hyperbole to say. I love this movie. I'll watch this movie a million times. It's on Shutter right now. I probably watched it twice already since it dropped, and that's after watching it multiple times while doing all the prep work for the film festival that we had in September. God, I can't believe it was that long ago. Two months. Time flies. Time does fly. I'm getting older. I'm almost 40 myself, and I'm certainly feeling the uh <laughs> how time really isn't a, a shackle so to speak it just keeps flying by without it uh you even knowing about it uh so yeah two months ago was the film festival uh five years ago is when we first started talking about creep show on this very podcast and 40 years ago tonight was when it premiered god what a good movie i think i'm gonna watch it again for the millionth time but maybe maybe i'll even just re-listen to this well i know you will so enjoy it and i'll be seeing you over long days and pleasant nights. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, all in the name of oh, all in the name of oh. Greetings. Constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and I'll be cracking open another installment of The Crate, our monthly deep dive into random horror rentals. Except this episode isn't so random. No, 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 no. It doesn't get more specific than this, because today we're talking about the very movie this feature gets its name from. George A. Romero's 1982 horror smash, Creepshow. 
Now, you're probably wondering, wait a second, Creepshow, 1982, hello, losers. You guys covered this back in 2017 with the new Flesh podcast. And you know what? My Horlicks hat is off to you because we did cover this episode. <laughs> uh, but as our fellow patron, Anthony Stokart, said, well, he had another idea. Um, he suggested, well, I had fun listening to the Creepshow podcast. I'd love to hear a show where people actually talk about the first movie as its own experience. Looking at those five stories as sort of a meal is different than ranking the segments from both movies. Just a thought. Well, Anthony, that thought is now a reality because we're going all in on this midnight masterpiece for this special installment of The Crate. Uh, so in fact, what makes it even more special is our special guest waiting for us down in the basement. But before we meet him, let's introduce my fellow losers joining me in today's dissection. Uh, here in Chicago. This is Wolfman Mac. And uh, I am very excited to be on this Creepshow episode as I was not in the first one. And uh, big, big fan of Creep. And... Uh, <laughs> have been for a long time. I cannot remember the first time I saw this film though. It had to have been oof, early, early nineties, I guess. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you always catch one of the stories on TV at, at some point, uh, but the crate stuck with me and, uh, as well as, um, uh, something will, uh, something to tide you over. Those two, uh, those two really so. just, yeah. you know, haunted my dreams for a long time. Uh, so I can't wait to get into that. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, hey, uh, get behind me. I have a flashlight. Um, <laughs> coming in from Nashville, Tennessee, all the way here at Horlicks University. How about that? Uh, who's out there? This is Jen to the Rage Adams. And <laughs> this was, I almost, you know, I'm going to change it. This is Jen Justice for Wilma Adams. Oh, um, okay. I, I've got some thoughts about that. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, this was a first watch for me today. Oh I God. feel like I was not on the first episode because I was only a listener back then. And, um, but I did listen to it. And I feel like I have read about this movie and heard about this movie like I knew every single thing that was going to happen in this movie and I've seen a lot of it but it, it was the first time I actually sat down and watched it all the way through and I really dug it um, yeah. not everything about it but I it was really fun well I can't wait to dig into it with you uh <laughs> this is a personal favorite of mine love it to death uh this actually screened at the greetings uh uh, greetings from Castle Rock Film Festival we did at the Music Box uh, back in 2018, and it was huge. I mean, people came out in droves for it. I think that was one, I think it was our second best showing of that weekend after maybe Stand By Me, um, which really shows a dichotomy there. But uh, anyway, um, well, are you two ready to meet our special guest? Uh, yeah. He just texted me. He said there's quite a mess down in the basement, so <laughs> let's go help him out. Daniel, are you down there? Uh, I am down here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Krause, how how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Uh, all things considered, which is what kind of you say now, the three, the three words you end up saying, adding to any response. I'm good. All things considered. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, you have a very, very special tie uh, to the director of this film. Um, would you care to digress on that tie? Sure, sure. Um, I co-authored the novel The Living Dead with George A. Romero, which is a uh, his his kind of last word on zombies. So, you know, he directed Night of the Living Dead, obviously, in 1968. 
and then spent 50 years sort of making his six zombie films. And um, his last zombie work was this epic novel that he's called Simply the Living Dead. And he died in 2017 before he could complete it. And um, I am a novelist and a lifelong fan and student of George Romero. And, you know, I, I saw Night of the Dead when I was five or six years old. So um, it really imprinted itself on me in a very, very deep way because it was always on. We always watched it. And, uh, you know, his, his estate, his wife and manager reached out to me um, about a month after he died and said, look, he has this giant epic zombie novel that kind of ends the whole thing. And we wanted to know if you wanted to take a, a stab at finishing it. So um, I took that stab and the book it came out a few months ago. There you have it. <laughs> well, it's an awesome book. It's a, it's a blast. Um, it's the, the, the saddest thing is just knowing that we won't see the, like the film that f- under his direction. I imagine yeah. there could be someone that, that, that could direct it um, if they wanted to. I mean, they could easily turn it into a series, I, I imagine. Has there been any discussion on that end uh, since it's come out? Or um, Yes. Is, oh, awesome. That is very exciting to hear. That is very exciting. Well, Sticking with Romero, um, you know, you saw Night of the Living Dead at a young age. When did you first see Creepshow? Now, I can't be sure of this, of course, because this was a long time ago. But I feel like the second Romero movie that made an impact on me was Creepshow. Um, if I rank the Romero movies, and I don't think he ever made a bad movie. I may be alone in this crowd in that. <laughs> but um, my second favorite is Creepshow. My first favorite is Night of the Living Dead. Um, but Creepshow is a, a number two. And the first time I laid my eyes on it was at a friend's house. Um, he had HBO and we weren't sitting down to watch it. I was just sort of in his house and we were in the living room and it was playing on, on HBO and it was um, the crate and it was uh, Mike the janitor getting sucked into the crate. And mm-hmm. there, and it was shocking because there was so much blood in that scene. It's like it's it's the bloodiest scene in the movie, and it's the bloodiest scene in most movies. Like it's just drenched with blood. Yeah. And the weird thing about this is, I remember it distinctly because this was must have been in the summer because it had to have been late enough to play an R-rated movie, but it still wasn't completely dark. And for some reason, that just made it like all the more upsetting. Like it was still a little bit sunny out and yet this like person was screaming on the screen and blood was falling everywhere. And then from that, um, you know, I became, I entered my Stephen King reading phase and my, my local library. And I grew up in a really small little town in Iowa. My local library had the creep show um, comic book. Oh, wow. That's cool. And um, I got that and read it a million times and, <laughs> The obsession began. Yeah. So with King, what would you say is, so this is pretty much your first King then, and then you went into, or did you, or had you already known King beforehand? I mean, I don't, I doubt it was my first King movie. Um, I can't put together the years all that well in my head back then. Um, Certainly by the time I was maybe in fifth grade, sixth grade, that's when my, I started reading all the Stephen King books. So, at that point, I, you know, I became just voracious, uh, wow. like many people in my, my uh, generation. 
Um, so I don't know where they all kind of fit, but I think as far as the movies go, uh, it, it, whether you're talking about Romero movies or Stephen King movies, certainly it, it is my favorite Stephen King movie. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was thinking about it today while watching it and just, you know, I mean, we'll obviously talk about it in this episode, but it really does feel like such a great distillation of kind of not even just him, but also like what influenced him and stuff like that. And so I, just, mm-hmm. I love it for that. But in terms of his books, what would you say is your favorite of his um, that has really stuck with you over the years? Well, I can tell you, it's a weird answer. My favorite of his books is Dance Macabre. Um, nice. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, it, it, that book, more than any other book in history uh, that I ever read, changed my life. Um, because, I, again, I lived in a small little rural town, and this was pre-internet. And I didn't know it. I had no access to anything that wasn't thrust in front of me or that I rambled across in our tiny little library. So suddenly I get Don Smacab and it was just, you know, I was working my way through his books and this just happened to be the next one. It just opened up a million doors. You know, there were all these books I'd never heard about and all these movies and TV shows and radio shows. And it just was like the world opened up with Don Smacab. And I um, began a long journey that still isn't complete of tracking down all those things. Now so much is more available, but, um, yeah, I mean, that book was a life changer. Oh, yeah. It's it's a total Bible. And I and I really didn't realize that until recently because I wasn't on the episode for uh, Dance Macabre. And we just kicked off a new series here that's called Dance Macabre where we're trying to like go through the books of his that inspired him. And it, yeah, I'm like going through it. And this is like the one that was updated. So it has this like forward with like even more movies that he loves on it. And yeah, it's a maze. It's a total, it's a fun maze to go through. And um, it's ultimately something I'll probably keep on the desk forever just because it's so easy to just kind of look at and just be like, especially right now where I kind of like when my girlfriend and I are trying to figure out what movies to watch during October, we're always like, oh God, so what, what do we want to do? You want to watch a, we're doing the exorcist again? <laughs> we're doing that. Uh, so it's nice to be able to find something different because there is so many, many times you watch the exorcist <laughs> i know well yeah it's like a two and a half hour movie but Let's do it know, again pop it on, it on thursday night um but yeah that's that, i like that answer that's a good that's a good one yeah. well look let's let's start talking about creep show um and we're already in this section but i gotta label it because i gotta throw on the seg and yada 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 but um you know spiritually we're all here in horlicks university basement can't see a friggin' thing. Uh, where'd I leave my flashlight? You remember, Doc? Um, never mind. Let's put this last name out of here. All right, well, in this section, as uh, most of uh, the constant listeners know, uh, we're going to be talking about the background of the film and, uh, the you know, just how everything kind of came together. Um, I mean, short gist of it, <laughs> what I've gathered, uh, is, you know, King and Romero are friends. Uh, Romero had done Martin. They, Warner Brothers approached him for Salem's Lot. Uh, ultimately, they decided to do a TV movie with that. Stephen King left. So did uh, Romero. Then they were like, all right, well, let's do The Stan. Not realizing how insane the budget is going to be on that. So they had to wait around for that. And then Romero was like, well, why don't you come up with an anthological, anthological story or something? And you know, King was like, all right, I can make this screenplay in like 60 days. <laughs> and thus, you know, Creepshow was born. Um, I think I'm, I'm probably missing like half a dozen little tangents in there about this movie. <laughs> but 
for me, like based on what I was reading today, it seems like that came down to it. I'm, I'm, I cannot tell if, because this is before Pet Cemetery, because I know that that was another project that Romero was circling after that as well. Uh, Daniel, am I right on this or am I? In... Um, yeah, Pet Cemetery is 83. Yeah, so, so, okay, so then, but that was something that I know Romero was circling that and then eventually Dark Half, I think, was the one that they <laughs> basically agreed upon. All right, well, Pet Cemetery. Well, there was, there was It as well. And I mean, It, yeah. <laughs> like I've, I've had the rare privilege of seeing the Romero archives, which will be public soon. Oh, wow. And um, so I've got... Um, I've, you know, read or paged through a lot of these screenplays, the Pet Cemetery and It and um, uh, nice to see that. The Stand <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff. Well, all that stuff, will be, you'll be able to see all of it soon. Uh, um, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And it's, yeah, they, they came so close so many times. Um, but yeah, it, it's great that this came together though because I think it's, it's hard to... Uh, I mean, essentially an adaptation of Stephen King's short stories, yeah. really. And it's um, just, I won't get ahead of myself. It's perfection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of crazy, too, because, you know, it, it really is just a greatest hits of all the masters of horror at that time. I mean, even those that aren't even involved. Um, you know, the influence of Carpenter is on this with just pretty much all his cast from the fog. <laughs> um, you know, like the, I think the production team of Sleepaway Camp uh, was also the team that worked with Romero here. Um, you know, you get Tom Savini, who's doing all the crazy effects in, in the background, who also, because he had never really done monster stuff before, tapped Rob Botton. So, I mean, you have that, you know, influence there. And then you also have Jack Kamen, who is doing all the, the actual physical, you know, um, comic books that are in there. So you got, you know, he had just done, you know, Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror. And, um, and then you also have Rick Catazone, who literally shared, a, I, th- I think, the, a building or an office that was next to Romero's. So it's like, and then also on top of that, <laughs> this production birthed like uh and then birth but brought greg nicotero onto the scene so he was a young kid that just you know this was his first experience so it's it's kind of crazy how you know you mentioned dance macabre earlier but this feels like almost like a dance macabre in 80s horror because there's just so much there's so many names involved here and then you look at the talent which we'll talk about soon but um it's pretty wild and 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 it's a very exciting time for i think all the parties that were involved you know, you got Savini coming off of, you know, God, a, a ton of huge triumphs for himself. In, in addition to John of the Dead, he had, he had just done Friday the 13th. Um, and then you have, um, you know, Romero, who's at that point just, you know, ma- the master at that point. I mean, it's, he's years removed from John of the Dead. Um, he just done Night Riders, which is this brazen, unbelievable movie. Um, where a lot of the talent in that is in this as well. Um, yeah. I mean, Stephen King is just <laughs> at his coked out best right now. I mean, he's literally coming off of like road work, Cujo, <laughs> Dance Macabre um, the year prior. This year, he literally released The Running Man, Gunslinger, and Different Seasons, and then also did wow. the screenplay. So it's just literally everyone coming together at this time when they're like, all able to flex their toughest muscles and um i don't know it's just i think it really comes across on the film 
Um, and it's one of those things where you, you know, I, I come from a music background for with starting consequence and all, but one of my favorite things, and I talk about this all the time on podcasts is when chaotically all the elements just come together. Um, and I always bring up talking heads once upon once in a lifetime, just because it's like in that song, it was literally all the members are just coming in recording one track after another. And it just birthed one of the greatest songs of all time. And it's this kind of the same way here. It's like everyone just came in with like their imagination and it's just on screen. It's on display. Um, Mike, you know, what also came together that year was me because I was born in 83. <laughs> oh, look at that. So <laughs> throwing that, my hat in the ring there too. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, um, you know, some other background, little notes I had here. This is just usually my little rundown to kind of give some stuff in here. But um, surprisingly enough, this is the only film that Romero didn't write the screenplay for. Um, and also his only film to open up at number one, uh, which is wild too, because it, so it opened up on Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday, November 10th, uh, 1982, grossed almost $6 million uh, from only like a thousand theaters. Um, but it knocked out First Blood from the top of the box office. So... <laughs> Oh <laughs> yeah! Wow. So I love that. I just uh, I love that, and um, I, that's and then some of their like production notes. I got like you know their real life maggots that were used in Father's Day. They used twenty thousand cockroaches, which proved to be I think the most expensive part of the film <laughs> for um, the creeping on you. And then that was also a real skeleton for the creep that was shipped to Savini. And he said in one of the notes I saw there was just like he just got a box that said you know from India. <laughs> it was this skeleton. Uh, oh and there, yeah, and it works. It looks, it looks like a skeleton, but, um, wow. Yeah. So well, thank you to that person. For yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I feel um, like it, it was really, uh, if you look at Romero's career and you can kind of divide his films into independent productions and Hollywood productions, I feel like this was the sweet spot. Like this was yeah. the, I think maybe the only time that, George, who had a very independent sensibility, worked totally in sync with um, the, sort of the Hollywood end of things. Uh, I think they were generally a terrible fit. Um, like he just did was not built to work with that that kind of those kind of strictures and with those kind of uh, producing partners. But with Creepshow, everything worked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even down to the music, like. Uh, the, the I was thinking about today, just listening yes, to uh, John, John Harrison. Yeah, and I, I don't. I think it's kind of like the Halloween thing. Like, if without it, I don't know if this movie works as well. I think it's all. It's one of these things where it's like all the moving pieces mm -hmm. have to stay together for this thing yeah. to like really effectively work. Because this could have gone so wrong, and it has gone wrong. And like in in the future, I mean, like <laughs> I don't want to like throw too many things under the bus, but like you know, there's a certain you know, there's some sequel. There's one sequel in particular we've talked about in this uh, on this podcast, the uh, whatever else, but the third one, where you just see that like <laughs> if you don't have the the, the imagination, the, the creativity, and the the muscle to be able to do it, it turns into a disaster. And this is yeah, like it's it's a ten out of ten for like pretty much every level of the production for this. Um, I mean, this is out of out of character for me to to do this, but. Um, Creepshow 3 is maybe my least favorite movie I've ever seen. Right? I think it's a yeah. terrible, terrible <laughs> film. And not, not only because it's Ugh. bad and not only because it, it shits on or the, uh, the first Creepshow and the second, I guess. 
Um, but because it, it's, it's like it misses the whole point. It feels mm-hmm. really mean-spirited, yeah. whereas there's such a sense of joy about um, the first one. Yeah, it's, it like literally oh, yeah. subverts the tagline <laughs> with the third one where we had to do it for, we have another feature called Lobstrosities where you talk about like Stephen King sequels and try to see how they could connect if they're, if anything. And it was the most torturous experience we did. <laughs> like halfway, like about five minutes in, I like turned to the guests and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> really sorry that we had this. And it's long too. I think it's like almost close to like two hours or something like that. But. but I would just say that, you know, coming back to this, it was really interesting because I don't, I feel like you don't see a lot of uh, anthology-esque films with just one director. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like the vision is, is cohesive and I think that really works. And I, I usually am all about seeing, you know, it's one thing if it's like up and coming directors and they want to give them a shot. So here's, a, here's like four short horror stories. Great, cool. We've, we have a lot of that. But if you're doing something like this, I almost think it's better just to have one vision because it really feels cohesive. Uh, and that, and, 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 you know, the whole thing we're talking about today is, is viewing this movie as one whole piece of meat, you know? And I think that it, it works in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of, I feel like a lot of anthologies, you can go, oh, well, I liked, you know, story two and maybe the through line or something, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think that's really weird because I, I was, I was literally going through thinking, okay, well, who, who directed each one of these? And then I was like, hello. <laughs> it's all George Romero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and then the fact that Stephen King wrote the screenplay for the whole thing and that some are based on his stories. And so it's, and you can absolutely tell it's his, his dialogue oh you know absolutely uh, I mean there, there was no no one no one in there telling Steve to uh you know hold back yeah um yeah I think he but, even reused uh, some names too like, he does yeah <laughs> he does um but yeah it was it was uh it was really fun rewatch yeah 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 I don't always like notice production um things or like I I kind of just watch things and kind of feel them out and this one it just felt so fun and like you can just feel the love when you're watching it and I think that's what really sells it you don't like you don't feel all the working parts and there are a lot of working parts and it just I remember every time the screen would go red when the monster was eating somebody I was like oh my god that's such a nice little touch and it just (laughs) it makes the movie come alive you know and there's so much of that detail that I think just it's it just feels like a love letter you know to like Halloween or like horror fans and you know it's it was just fun yeah I mean the thing I love about this is that it's it's not only is it cohesive but um, I think one of the reasons why it works, and I talked a lot about this with the Creepshow TV show last year, which I, I there, there are parts of the TV show I really like, but I, but I mm-hmm. think what it doesn't work, and I think a lot of things don't work with anthology um, films today, is because so many of these writers and so many of these directors, like you know, someone like Romero or someone like you know, like even like the like the mindset of Carpenter or um, you know, like King, they all cut their teeth having to really write like short serials and, um, you know, short films and TV. And um, they, they grew up with, you know, the, the stories that are in magazines. I mean, like that's how King cut his teeth also. And so like, I think having that, that, that uh, upbringing and also like, you know, they all grew up on the, the Twilight Zone most of the time when it wasn't, there wasn't really too much nostalgia tied to it yet. Like it was still like kind of like a, a new thing and like, you know, the horror in that respect was serialized. It was these, these short bites that these quick fixes. And 
so when you have like a generation now that's trying to recapture that, it's like kind of doing like a, like a second hand or third hand version of it. Third hand, really, because it's, this would technically be the second hand because a lot of the, you know, these writers are, you know, influenced by the Mathesons and, you know, the Serlings of that era. And I, and I think that's really important. I think that, and I, I don't really hear a lot of people talk about that a lot of times because like, it's, you know, just, it just, it's all commingled together. But like, I mean, my favorite King is Night Shift. And one of the things I love about Night Shift is the fact that these all speak to uh, an author that, not only knows the medium he's writing for, which is the time was a lot of like pulpy, you know, men's magazines, but also the audience. And mm -hmm. so when you can nail those two things, I feel like that's why he, there's a, such a precision to a lot of this uh, here, but I don't, yeah. I don't digress on that. And like having fun with it too. Yeah. You know? It felt like I kept thinking this feels like watching Night Shift, you know, because there's yeah. just the DNA is throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I don't, think it, I don't think it can be stressed enough what a balance i mean it looks easy when you watch it because you're having mm -hmm. fun but to balance that much humor and to still yes. be scary yeah i mean mm -hmm. it's nearly impossible uh-huh because there were some really upsetting things in this movie like i got really freaked out at times yeah. <laughs> which i was not expecting well no it's it's a huge feat there's not a lot of folks that can can do it obviously there's only so many horror films that walk that line of comedy and horror well mm -hmm. uh and it, but to, to what you were saying though, Mike, like trying to do creep show now is a little strange because if you're trying to go after young demographics of kids uh, and you're, you're mirroring this off of like comic books, like I don't know what kids really, I mean, I, I know kids read a lot of graphic novels and comic books have kind of turned into that more like trades and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's, that's kind of the, the disconnect. Otherwise you're just making it for people like us, <laughs> you know, who yeah. grew up with the show. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see like what works and doesn't work with the new show. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah it's but, but of, oh God, sorry. You're well, I was going to say, it kind of seems to me like it, it should work though in a, in a certain way, because we are, we are at an age now where we're, where the old standards of movies have to be a certain number of length because you have to program a certain number of movies in a theater and make maximize our, our time spent in that closed space are becoming less and less important. I think the feature, the, even the, like, like when host came out on shutter recently, yeah. like it's an hour long. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of that. There's no reason anymore for us to tie ourselves to these certain lengths. Mm -hmm. um, I and I think short films uh, or medium films or whatever kind of films are, this is the time I think you're going to see them continue to explode and I think, you know, I, I, I realized the, that, that Quib was kind of a failure, that streaming service. But I mean, I think it's, it makes sense to me that short form uh, projects and movies would make sense for right now. Like, oh, I, I do think there's a, there's a, there's a rationale that it, um, maybe they're not coming from comic books, but they are coming from YouTube. So mm -hmm. it all kind of, it makes sense in a way. Yeah, we'll and if you look at like TV now too, like we're in like the golden age of television and a lot of the shows have been kind of playing with time length, you know, and like running over the hour, not going all the way to, because a lot of it is, or things that come out on Netflix that are just binging and it's not ever tied to any kind of programming. So that's interesting. And then you get, you know, like uh, Twin Peaks The Return, which is just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Uh, 
Well, hey, let's let's uh, let's move on to our next section because we got we got a lot of uh, fun characters to talk about in this uh, incredibly fun movie. Uh, you know, characters like uh, your Henrys, your, your Billies, and your Fluffies. <laughs> I know you. What are you doing, Henry? What are you doing? What I should have done a long time ago. Get in there, Wilma. Just tell him to call your Billy, you bitch. Stop it! One of the things I really do appreciate about this film is the average age for the cast. This isn't like some, you know, young, hunky, star-studded thing. Like, it's not like they're going to have, like, you know, all the, the, the sexiest stars of the 80s coming together for this thing. And, like, mm-hmm. it's like not. the CW and, cast. <laughs> exactly. Like, which is what happens in pretty much any goddamn production today. Um, but, like, I mean, the av- I did the math. Um, yeah, let's and, uh, go down. The, go yeah. Down. <laughs> so Ed Harris was 32. Ooh. Stephen King was 35. Leslie Nielsen was 56. Ted Danson was 35. Galen Ross was 32. Hal Holbrook was 57. Adrian Barbeau was 37. Fritz Weaver was 56. E.G. E. Marshall was 68. Tom Atkins was 47. And I'm not counting Joe Hill. It's just <laughs> he's only in there for a couple of seconds. And granted, he's in there the same amount of time as, as Tom Atkins, but whatever hill you're gonna mess up my average so i'm not adding you in there but <laughs> yeah, yes yeah, so the average age of the cast when i did the the, the whole averages for it was 45 hmm. that's you just don't see that today like it's oh, just, that's, that's 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 refreshing right like yeah, i love it really that is. Yeah. And, it, and it's and i think that really speaks to the the tone of this movie because like i said before like i mean king wrote a lot of these stories for adult magazines and there is um there is certainly a tone of this film that is more that that leans adult, even if it's you know obviously using a medium that is for children. Um, and I think that dichotomy is what makes this really work, because you know Daniel, you mentioned when you watched this early on on HBO. I kind of I saw it the same way. I was at a sleepover. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night as I want to do and just this was on in the middle of the night and it was literally like when Ted Danson is in the waves and he's watching Galen Ross on the screen and I remember as a kid I'm from a beach town I'm from South Florida I remember as a kid just being like first off what the fuck is going on in this why are they buried in the (laughs) sand and then second Mm -hmm. off like this is this feels like almost smutty like it it felt like am I watching like almost like a a late night Skinamax movie or am I watching like about cuckolding and all this stuff or am I and, and granted I didn't know what cuckolding was at age you know 10 or whatever but I, <laughs> I understood the, that the smut element of it mm. and I and I so I always think back about that because that's kind of what is really like hard to also glean and kind of get um, because most of the time horror at least nowadays is geared towards like young audiences so they are going to go sexy. They are going to go with, you know, teenage and 20 something. So I, I really do love the fact that it's like, they're, they're, this is like adults that are the principal, mm-hmm. principal cast members. And it kind of makes the horror scarier, you know, mm-hmm. because it's happening to adults. It's like, they should be in control. They should know what the hell they're doing, but nobody knows what they're, do- they're doing in this. Yeah. It's like a kid's version of what adults are, you know, mm-hmm. like a younger yeah. understanding of what being an adult actually is, which I think kind of leans into the fun. And that's why like, you don't feel so attached to some of these adults because you're not really identifying with too many of them. You know, you're kind of seeing them from afar. So like, almost like an us versus them kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, the original like EC comics that these are based on, um, I've, I'm kind of obsessed with them. So I've read them all many times. 
and they rarely involve children. Yeah. They're all adults. And I think with the idea being that kind of the, the evil one, because there's always somebody getting their just desserts, are adults. Um, there's, there's very few instances of evil kids. Um, and, I, you know, I, and I think this is a good example of, um, like I've written books for all ages, adults and kids and all that stuff, but I've written a number of young adult books too. And I've never, I've never hewed to the idea that kids uh, only want to read about kids and teens yeah. only want to read about teens. I just, I just don't buy it. And I think Creepshow is a great example of, of that. Like it involves older people, no one in their twenties, everyone's in the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. And I, I bet kids just loved it from the get go. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I think about like at the time I saw this, I was still being dragged to like family functions or, you know, like, Oh God, my mom used to have to like always go to these stupid like neighborhood functions and everyone's <laughs> drunk off their heads. And I'm just like sitting like, you know, wandering around this adult person's like house being like, what do they have here? And like, you know, <laughs> like looking at random things. And so like, you know, the crate episode really hits hard because it's like, I feel like I've been to so many of those functions before. Like I'm the one that's running around trying to like climb a tree, but like all the adults yeah. are just kind of like getting loaded. Um, <laughs> and it's, there's like a cynicism that comes with it because it's like nobody really wants to be there. So they're just going to like escape into their drinks. And I've seen that happen firsthand. And so there is like a realism to it that, I always connect with when I'm watching it here. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I also think that, you know, as a kid, whenever you're watching something and the, the cast is just made up of older people, I always thought, I don't know if I should be watching this, especially in the horror genre. <laughs> so I always felt like I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's fun, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I think of Ghost Story, um, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the, that film. And I remember seeing that as a kid and just being like, man, like, it's like grandpas are being haunted and like, um, <laughs> and it was, there's like a forbiddenness to it, um, mm-hmm. which to adds to it, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So look, look, we got a lot. We, I pretty much boiled it down to those characters uh, the, or those act, you know, the, that talent that's involved. Cause there's so many people in this, but mm-hmm. let's talk about our favorite characters here. Uh, Jen, uh, who is you? You mentioned Wilma before. Uh, so. I did, yeah, um, and I don't know if I would say she's my favorite character, but I she's probably the one I identified with the most because I have been her at parties a lot of times, and it's like, oh my god, it's kind of bringing up some uncomfortable memories. I don't know if like she's like presented as an alcoholic in this movie, right? Oh yeah, like that's yeah, and I think like I just kept thinking like you can just divorce her, you know, you don't have to kill her. And I was watching that. I was like, yeah, Hal Holbrook's the bad guy in this one. Right. Um, And I like, like, I don't think she's really kind of given a fair shake. This is the one problem I have with this movie is just, and I kind of lay it at Stephen King's feet and it's, you know, as much as I love him, this is, I don't love how he wrote her. Um, But I thought she was really fun and like Mm -hmm. having a lot of fun with this role. And I love Adrienne Barbeau. Um, Yeah. So I just kind of, I think in an updated movie, she would come back and maybe she's the new monster or something. And that was another thing that bugged me is like everybody else gets to get their revenge, you know, and it's like Hal Holbrook gets revenge on her. So I just, I want a little justice for uh, Wilma. <laughs> well, you, you brought up the idea that it's like they could just get divorced. And it's funny because right. it's like, that's another thing that happens in like something to tide you over. It's like, look, uh-huh. she just wants to leave. 
you know and, yeah. and like leslie nielsen's like i can't and it's like well you know i'm a little you know he just indulges in his craziness so it's like this and again like can't you know a lot of most of these short stories i imagine were i know that i think the crate was god it was was published in gallery so mm. i imagine it's like oh, for all the guys was. that are just like oh here's a here's here's the story for all the men out there with the ball mm. and chain you know like type of thing that's, that's kind of <laughs> right. like i get the like the gist yeah of the it. ball and chain my 20 year old younger something attractive wife <laughs> yeah <laughs> right what's exactly. the issue here <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and i feel bad starting out saying something negative because that's really the only problem i have with the whole movie you know well what other characters uh caught your eye though well um Ted Danson is very hot in this movie. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. Because um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, that one was the one that freaked me out the most. And Leslie Nielsen, it, like, really creeped me out, too. And then there's also hot Ed Harris, which I'm yeah, which also is, a fan of. <laughs> it's kind of funny with the, the fact that Ed Harris is pretty much like, Ed Harris and Galen Ross are the youngest people on this, uh, this cast list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always associate... Uh, Ed Harris just from I mean he's you know he's got his hair here so it's like he looks so young and <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's also so zany and having fun in ways that like he doesn't traditionally after this because like a year after he does write stuff and then from there on he's kind of like tough guy you know for yeah. the most part but it's like um, starky yeah for and speaking rest. of hunky dancing I mean he's already Ooh. like when this came out this is two months <laughs> into cheers already so he was already kind of like, I imagine everyone in America must have been like, no, don't, right. don't drown Malone. <laughs> like, I love him. He's in that new yeah. show I love um, with Norm. Um, <laughs> I never uh, knew I would want to see Ed Harris dance so much, but that dancing <laughs> sequence is like, it's, it's definitely one of those scenes where you're like, they, they definitely were not dancing to this music. This music was out oh. later on, right. you know? <laughs> but uh, because, and I'm always like, no, don't clap or don't, and don't snap. Because you know they're never, it's never going to be on beat with whatever they throw in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah. it is classic, though. Oh, I wanted to ask everybody, if you, were, if you were on that grave, would you just sit there? Would you move? Now, I know that he's stunned by the grave moving, then Bedelia, and then seeing, you know, Corpse of Nathan. Mm-hmm. But... W- He's there for quite some time. He's I'm there like, for a long time. Move. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to get better roll. by staying there. <laughs> but you get that all over this movie. Like there's Mike when he's Mike the janitor when he gets his hand caught in the crate and he just sort of yeah, sits yeah. there. And I think again that's that's sort of a carryover from the comics where mm-hmm. literally every other comic would have someone essentially go mad with fear and mm. become catatonic. Mm-hmm. Like almost all the less frames of those easy comics <laughs> or somebody and their eyeball is just like white, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with no pupil in it. And they're just like burbling and with uh, fear and they're completely uh, catatonic. So I think some of that is uh, drawn from that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's, just, it's like a static image as well that we're looking at to, yeah, like, to yeah. linger it on a it a little one. bit. But but yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. And he makes the weirdest sound when he gets squashed. <laughs> I know. Like, well, everyone's like so, and I mentioned, you know, obviously Coke before, but like, I just imagine ju- just fucking everyone's going on. Now like, you're, now you're projecting, Mike. I am <laughs> projecting on this cast. I no, am, there's nothing out there that says these people were all I, doing coke. Okay? I just, I just think like the, the the given the time period and like the fact that like everyone's being basically told like, all right, you got to go Looney Tunes on you. I mean, like they literally told Stephen King. I think he was like, all right, Wiley Coyote. 
And, <laughs> and he does. I mean, he goes beyond yeah. Wiley Coyote. I think even Wiley Coyote would be like, oh man, this guy, I gotta get away from this guy. This is, <laughs> this is too much for me. Um, I, mean, I loved it though. I, oh, I do too. And, and that's my girlfriend's favorite segment. She like cries every time during it. And I'm like, it's so well, there sad. Were two, there were two characters that when I first watched it, I didn't like and really took me out of it. And, and that was Leslie Nielsen's character because I had only ever seen him in other things that were he was playing a comedic character. Which is so but funny. Watching, he's like it, watching it this time, it is like he's so good in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 I also feel like if 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 we needed a stand-in, if they were ever going to do that again, he he, there's some lines that he does that it sounds like Mel Gibson. <laughs> Oh. And I feel like Mel Gibson would be a good stand-in for that character if they ever had to do that again. You did this to my... <laughs> You uh, yeah. yeah, that'd be you. great. You know, um, God, I can't but, even imagine. Imagine the headlines. It's like creep. But Mel Gibson but, joins creep show. Yeah, right, it writes yeah. itself. <laughs> but the other, the other character was. Um, oh, I'm, now I'm totally blanking. We had Leslie Nielsen, and then you also did you, were you going to say King as Jordy Verrill, or yeah, 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 no, no King. I was really put off by that, and I was like, "This isn't scary. This is dumb," you know. And I, you know, I was a stupid kid, you know. I wasn't like patient, and really, really looking at it. And it, it is a very funny segment, but it is pretty disturbing. I, mm-hmm. I actually like King in it. I think he's really yeah. fun, and mm-hmm. you, you need him to be that goofy and kind of aloof for that last moment to really work and hit yeah. him. And man, it's got it such a jarring. dark ending. Yeah. It's yeah. so dark. It like, is so jarring at the end. You're just like, oh God, like for, for this character to get to this point is really sad. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. quite good. Well, Daniel, what, who, who, uh, who are your favorite? Well, you know, I did get to watch it again last night, which I didn't think I'd have time to, but I, I squeezed it in. And I mean, I, it was like the newer blu-ray that's out oh, and nice. um just uh i mean I, I just never get sick of this movie i just yeah. loved it more than ever and i think that the characters that i was particularly enamored with this time were actually um henry and dex uh i find their friendship so weirdly touching <laughs> like i i realized that they you know they should not have killed billy <laughs> Um, again, that's in every EC comic ever. Like there's some marital strife and one of them concocts some terrible way to, to butcher the other. Um, <laughs> but I found that all the murdering and monstering aside, I found Hal Holbrook and Fitch Weaver just like, I love their friendship. Yeah. Like they really care for each other. And they're these older, you know, men in their sixties or so who are just like real close and they're, they're kind of rock for each other. And I, I found it kind of touching. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, and I, I also felt like when I watched this the first time that I, you know, when I'm thinking back of the movie, I was like, oh yeah, you know, they they were both really evil uh, and that they both plotted to kill Billy, but it really is just Hal Holbrook. I mean, Dex just sleeps through the whole thing and then wakes up the next morning. He's actually quite sweet. And, you know, he's like, even, you know, when they're opening the crate, he's like, Mike, you know, you do the honors, you know, <laughs> I, I was like, Oh wait, this is not how I remember this at all. <laughs> but it's funny. I, yeah. I, I think Fritz Weaver is unbelievable in this. I mean, like the, we talked yeah. about like the freeze frame and like how you have to have like the eyes and everything. His like discombobulated self towards the end of this, when he runs into uh, to see how Holbrook, uh, we actually use one of the clips in the uh, the podcast here. Um, it's just so good. It, like mm-hmm. you totally believe it. Like he's like, oh, I never got a chance. Like it's so real. And I and I, you know, he'd been in a ton, a ton of. I mean, he was better an actor at that point, but um, he'd also been in the Twilight Zone. And I think that 
the I want to say um I want to say he's in the episode where they realize they're on Earth after it's like the sh- shot of shot into the clouds. Yeah, section. I think that's right. Um, and that sort of mani- the that sort of mania, really kind of takes off here. Um, mm-hmm. And because you you totally buy it, and it really elevates the tension of this chapter because you get the sense that not only like his just nerves are like making you like just anxious watching him, but like you feel the anxiety that like this fluffy creature is going to get them. Like they're right, like he's just right on like right on their, you know, their tails. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I love, I love Fritz Weaver and I, and I just, yeah. I love Holbrook in this too, but. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was going to just draw this into two. And usually when you're watching horror films, I feel like a lot of times if you, you know, we were talking about the age of the actors and I feel like a lot of times you, they go with younger actors because they're not, they're not concerned about like, you know they're, they're fresh faces they're 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 trying to go all, all out in this movie mm-hmm. you know and and seemingly like horror isn't like necessarily a super popular 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 genre but i guess you know you've got romero and stephen king so you bring in these seasoned actors and a lot of them have done horror before mm-hmm. and they're just going for it man i mean leslie nielsen even when he's running around the house frightened uh, of the Wentworths coming after him I mean he is not holding back you know what I mean like mm-hmm. and uh and that really comes through and I think that really sells it you know and mm-hmm. because especially when you have so much comedy in this and so many and just the comic book you know the drawings and the etchings and stuff I feel like you have to be going all in for everything to come together and mm-hmm. I, I think it really kind of glues it uh and seals the deal yeah, yeah and be like a, a weak link either it's like they're all like they're aware of what they're doing they're all kind of matching each other too which i think would like lots of times when you're going for it and there's one person that's not that's when it really stands out a lot and yeah they're all they're, yeah i can imagine like everybody's on the same page you know i imagine the george's conversations with the actors was a lot of give me more yeah mm-hmm. even more you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah no you don't look weird yeah go for it keep going yeah and it helps that like so many of them have like been on television, you know, and I, I mm-hmm. think that that to be able to, especially not only just been on television, but like, you know, one off roles where you really kind of have to just like own it as a young mm-hmm. actor. I mean, especially with the, you know, the younger cast. I mean, like someone, someone like Danson, who at the time, you know, uh, when we look back now, we're like, oh, yeah, cheers. First season, huge. And it was huge, but he still was like you know, working from project to project. I mean, like he had just, he had done like Body Heat. This is, I think is like third movie at the time. So you have like a lot of hungry, really good, like like chiseled actors at this point where that have like, that have really like gone through the, the rigmarole of like television, you know, serialized movie, like movie making, movie making or like filming. And I think that helps with these like segmented things because they know that like, all right, well, we only have this abbreviated amount of time. I really got to make this count. Um, and it also helps that you have a lot of actors that really come from, you know, on the other side, the older actors that come from a time when a lot of filmmaking was even more like theatrical, like, because you really had to kind of emote through a lot of things. And like somebody like, mm-hmm. I, I think of somebody like E.G. Marshall, where that entire segment is literally on him. Like there's nobody there other than mm-hmm. the bugs and the, you know, the, the doorman and all, but it really is on him. And in lesser hands that could have just been so lame and um you know over exaggerated and 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 just kind of boring and tedious but he really owns it 
And a lot of that speaks to the fact that, I mean, he was in 12 Angry Men, which is pretty much a theatrical, I mean, Love City with Lamette movie is amazing, but it's a, it's a stage production that's made into a movie. And like he, mm-hmm. and he's one of the MVPs of that movie. And like, he comes in and that, and like having someone that caliber really makes a difference. And that's why I think a lot of anthology horror today just doesn't work because like, everyone kind of treats it just like a regular movie. So it's just like, well, you know, we're not really owning the scenes and all, but mm-hmm. um, I guess my question here next is, um, you know, who from this era or maybe from Romero's circles do you feel like are missing? Um, you know, cause Galen Ross was in, you know, Don Dead, um, King and Ed Harris, who were both in Knight Riders. Um, I don't know how they got Leslie Nielsen after Airplane because it was like the fourth highest grossing film of 1980. So it's, I don't know how they managed to get them, but um, I, I'm wondering like, if there, there, are there people from the 80s that you would wish that you might've been able to see play characters in here or even those that were regulars of Romero? And Forey. Yeah, that was fun to see him in this. Uh, I was surprised to see Gamlin Ross. I, I never knew that was her which is crazy and and she you know she only did a handful of things uh but that was that was fun yeah. um God. and of course that's uh john amplis playing nathan graham under the uh under the yeah. decaying corpse suit so that's martin himself that's so cool that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm trying i'm trying to think of like i'm just surprised that there weren't like even more people from like don or um you know, some of his other films that he had at the, and, I mean, like he obviously he carried over a ton from Knight Riders, but um, it just dawned on me that, yeah. no pun intended, um, that <laughs> there weren't as many as I, as he could have had here. I know mean, maybe they just, I mean, there aren't, then again, there aren't that many roles to be honest with you, I guess. There's mm-hmm. I think probably just because of the budget and the situation yeah. of the production um, there and the, you know, most of the budget, they had to put in a certain number of names. Yeah. You know, he, he couldn't just cast the people he liked as much. Yeah. So there's, there's some of that, but he also needed to have the Leslie Nielsen's and the E.G. Marshall's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, it rounded it out really nice. That. I mean, then you have Tom Atkins. I know. We have to <laughs> mention Tom Atkins. Throw that guy in everything, please. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think this might be like Atkins probably fun not finest hour obviously just because he's been in so many other things and all but like man what a great what a great era for atkins i mean he had just done the fog and escape from new york halloween three is coming up the creeps and i know the creeps is coming up like gonna have lethal weapon soon it's kind of interesting to see like i mean he was 47 at the time and it still felt like his career had just begun here um it's insane he was 47 mm mm-hmm yeah i'm telling you he's also really bad in this (laughs) like a a mean guy oh i know yeah you don't see that usually no No. my notes i wrote that's why god make fathers and i hate him (laughs) he's just such a good bad guy well that's the thing i love is that like you you really again he taps into that like he pretty much dies right i mean like his his son joe hill kills him right like yeah eventually yeah yeah, absolutely Mm -hmm. i love that opening and, and i love I love when the kid's just sitting there on the bed and he sees the creep mm-hmm. and you think, oh my God, this is like frightening. And the kid's just like beaming, like, oh, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, the creep's here. We're going to yeah. do this. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that sets the tone for the whole thing, right? It does. Like, you yeah. expect him to scream because there's a skeleton in the window, and the fact that he gives you this devilish little grin, <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, so okay, <laughs> this is going to be that kind of movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, and considering how little screen time they both have, like, I think it's it speaks to their, like, the way they deliver this. Like, speaking of just going for it, that they are memorable for that small amount of time. Yeah, yeah. It's just so mean. Like, or not mean, yeah. but it's fun mean. It's like, it's, but it's so, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's very merciless. Like you just know that like all bets are off that like anyone's fair game in this world. Um, yeah. And, and I love that about it. I mean, it really does. It, it's funny that like, you know, obviously it's, it's, it was etched by the same person who did Tales from the Crypt, but like, God, do they, the, the, the show that would come on later on just has so much spiritual, spiritual ties to this that like, cause like you watch that show and you're like, I just assumed at some point growing up that like everyone's fucked. Like the minute you see a character in a Tales from the Crypt episode, you're like, oh man, you just, you wound up, you wound up in this world. They're like, done. Yeah. You're so smashed. Um, but uh, okay. So last question with the cast, like who wins Creepshow here? Like who's the, the MVP of this cast? Joe Hill. Oh, <laughs> Joe Hill. <laughs> I don't uh, know. There's really not like a. You know, I never I would know. have said this uh, as a younger person. Uh, like my, because you're just not that interested in the uh, the Hal Holbrooks and the Fitzweavers. <laughs> yeah. But man, do I just, this movie makes me miss Hal Holbrook. Like he's just such an interesting presence. Um, yeah. I think maybe if you're doing an MVP, we kind of go back to the idea that there's two segments that just have one actor, um, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess I'd probably lean towards giving E.G. Marshall the MVP just because he has to come in in the final act and, and take it away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna give the MVP to the crate creature because he <laughs> gets away in the end. <laughs> he breaks out, he breaks free. I mean, it is great. I, yeah. it's, I, when you think about the iconography of this film, I mean, you got the comic book, you got the creep, and you got Fluffy. I mean, I feel like I see more Fluffy than anything else that's tied to this. I mean, like I had the chance to go to the set for uh, the Creep Show TV show or, last year and um, back when you could still go on sets. And uh, they had so much like little, you know, prompts and things that they probably, re- I think they were reproductions of uh, the original film. And, you know, they had Nathan and that was really cool. But everyone gravitated towards the fluffy mask, even though like you go to any Halloween store and they pretty much have it there, but it was like sitting there in the corner and everyone was taking photos and going nuts. And it kind of really spoke to the idea that like, I guess the crate really is the one that like everyone thinks about. Like it just, because I guess maybe it's ultimately the scariest one, but um, it is, I get you could, could say Fluffy is MVP. I think that'd be fair. Yeah. The crate is, I think by far the longest one. And, it is, yeah. And has the most star power. If you look at the credits, you know, the first four people listed in the credits are in the crate. Yeah. And that That was the centerpiece. Yeah. 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 So I think good. I would give it to, if I'm thinking about the most memorable part of this, I think I'd probably give it to Leslie Nielsen because that, that performance yeah, was, just really got under my skin, you know? And that's the just, one that I have come back to when I think about it. Even just seeing it for the first time today, like that's the one that I connected with the most just from everything that I'd always heard and known. And that's the part that I'd seen before. So When he captures that King character so well. Of yeah, like, he does. Kind of like what we see in The Ledge. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like this oh, very uh, much yeah this like cuckolded um man that is very wealthy very opulent and like very um uh smart 
you know, yeah. he's going to have this, the, you know, two steps ahead. And yeah, that's another, you know, not, not to go too much on a tangent, but like, that was one thing I did realize watching this is that like, nowadays we're so obsessed with being nostalgic and vintage, but like this era, because there was really only like, I mean, it's the eighties, so everything was excess and stuff, but like are starting to become that in 1982. It is interesting to see that like two of the five stories in here have to do with like multimedia you know, mm-hmm. in like really advanced multimedia. The fact that like, you know, he's got these cameras everywhere. And then, you know, later on um, with uh, the creeping on you, it, like there's all the, the the camera work and his way of, you know, creating his own little bubble there. And, and it's very like this kind of, it's not dark deco futuristic, but like it's this weird sort of like 80s futurism that's happening mm-hmm. in, in these two segments. And you just don't really see that anymore today. Like, I mean, it's, I feel yeah. like the 80s was like, maybe the 90s was like the last gasp. You don't, like, have, you don't have like artwork that moves and then there's like 10 TVs behind it. Oh, no. <laughs> well, let me just so, push the button on my remote. <laughs> but I know, I thought that, that, that was kind of cool. But I, I, yeah, yeah. If, I had to, if I had to choose an MVP, I think I would go with, I don't know, EG's pretty great. Like, I, I think that's probably the, the, the fair answer. But I gotta go. I think I'm gonna go with Barbo. I'm gonna give. Uh, I'm gonna apply for Barbo because I think she's. Yeah. She just steals the scene and everything. And like, if I'm thinking of an actor or an actress or talent, like, I remember how excited I was that Adrian Barbo came back for the TV show last year. Like, I was mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, like this is awesome. Like, you know, she's that scream when she finally sees Fluffy. Like, I've used that GIF so many times. And um, <laughs> and, and even growing up, I think it was like one of the first things I saw was like the the cocktail party and and I just. So I love her in this and, and I love Barbo anyway. And I think this is such a great era for her too, because she was, you know, she's married to Carpenter. She just kills it in the fog. My favorite character in the fog, mm-hmm. um, you know, starting out pretty, uh, starting, starting out pretty late too. So it's, it was, you know, nice, nice moment for her, but um, okay. Well, let's, we've talked a lot about what we love in this cast. Let's talk about some stuff we didn't like. She might be a little short in this segment, but uh, it's a segment we call Shit for Brains. Same old Henry, afraid of your own shadow. You know what, Henry? You're a regular barnyard exhibit. Sheep's eyes, chicken guts, piggy friends, and shit for brains. This is the section that, you know, we talk about stuff that we didn't like. And I got to say, my notes have just one line, and that's it. I'll hold it on. I'll hold on to it right now. Uh, but Jen, uh, you've already mentioned and acknowledged some things you didn't like, but were there anything beyond uh, the, the treatment of Wampa? Um, yeah, there are, I have a couple of lines I did not like that Don't Like Go song, which yeah. is such a minor thing, but it comes back twice and it bugged me. Um, and the other thing that I did not like was the bugs. And that I, it's very effective. I just don't like bugs. And I know, so I like, hate them. Like, like, the I think flies. if I watch That's it That's the whole point, though. You can't say I didn't <laughs> like this movie because there were bugs in the scene where there's supposed no. to be bugs. <laughs> I think it's effective. It's great. It just fucked with me, man. My mom um, used to drive me crazy because she would <laughs> she'd watch a horror movie and say, oh, I hated that movie. It was so scary. Like, yes. <laughs> So you so loved it. It's supposed to be scary. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and it was effective and I've watched it once and I was very affected by it. And now I will maybe just push stop. I, 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 I will. Over. But you know what? I uh, build on that because I, the, the serial scene and especially when he uses Ooh. it to like, I hate that. I just like, mm-hmm. I have to turn away every time because it looks so fucking gross. Yeah. The cereal all looks like the bugs anyway. It just like gets, it really gets under my skin on that. 
Um, and that maybe is a little unfair because you're right. It is very yeah. effective and gross. And that's why I don't like it. And I think that just kind of speaks to like, there really wasn't that much that I didn't like, you know, yeah. everything else like really worked, you know? Yeah. Daniel, what about, what about you? I actually think there is one big strike against this movie and yeah. that it's, it's incredibly white. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. you know, if you look back at the EC comics, we're talking the 1950s and those were, you know, pretty much a hundred percent white. This is 82, hardly a progressive um, era, but you know, 30 years have passed. Like that it's kind of inexcusable that there are, with the exception of a minor character in the very last segment, this is a hundred percent white. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's just really no, no good reason for that. Yeah. And it's, it's surprising coming from Romero too. Cause it's like, you know, all of his films. For the yeah. Most, yeah. 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 I'm guessing. Yeah. And I know I'm trying to think, was it this movie? Cause that something, I have some sort of like unique insight from talking to Romero people um, like the, the estate and stuff. Um, I don't, I can't remember the specifics, but oh, it was more Land of the Dead. Um, oh, okay. It, was, it wasn't this one. But I know like with Land of the Dead, he wanted to cast a black actor in the lead. Oh, um, interesting. And know. so it would, and he wasn't allowed <laughs> to essentially. So I would not shock me at all if that was what he tried to do here too. And the, the, um, the producer was just like, no, we got to stock it with these various names. Mm. So um, you know, it wouldn't I, shock me if he put up a fight and just lost. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I also... I'm going to throw out, you know, we've talked about, you know, this is a Stephen King podcast. We talk about King all the time, but he's not the best at writing non-mainers. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that might've had something to do with it eventually, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it is weird. Yeah. It is shockingly white and you know, they're all, most of them are evil. So maybe they were trying to say something with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that the last one is actually kind of making sort of a commentary on totally. that. And there's like an eliteness, yeah. but the problem is there are four other sections and they yes. all, mm -hmm. in, not including the wraparound, which does not include any characters of color either. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you could have, I'm trying to think which section would have really worked. Um, maybe the, I think the crate, honestly, like would have mm -hmm. really worked, especially if you had like, yeah, I don't want to get rid of like how Holbrook or Fritz Lang, but like uh, Fritz Lang. Um, okay, but uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get rid of uh, you know the characters, but like I feel like Ken Faree could have like easily like fit in there as like one like a, a colleague or something like that, like mm -hmm. or even like the, the second lead in that section. Um, but yeah, I mean the Ed Harris role being yeah. being brought mm -hmm. into a, a rich white family and trying to have oh, to, totally. to fit yeah, in. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always forget that he is the outsider on that. So um yeah, well, that's that would that would absolutely make sense. Um for me, I mean, speaking of Father's Day, I think that one goes a little too long. Mm. Um I think it's and I'm sure that it's really not too long because obviously the crate is longer, but I just think it's out of all the segments, I think that was when we did our ranking for the podcast, I think it like, that's my lowest ranked one of this movie. Um, and I, I just, it's something that just doesn't work about it for me. I love the ending. I love where it goes. The makeup effects are phenomenal. It's just, I, I, I can't really grapple into it. Like I never get, I mean, if I'm seeing it on TV, I'm like, oh, creep show's on. And I'll get it sucked it's in, but like- Sorry, it's a very complicated plot for the first yeah. one. There's so many characters, and you're like, okay, who's who? Who's not mm -hmm. related? Who's actually related to the person that did die? But then why are these people having? Why is he even here? Uh, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. But I always remember that being a lot longer than it, than, than it was. And when I watched it this time, I actually really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, I just read, you know, uh, read this uh, recently too. And I, I thought it really worked for me. I think in terms of setting up the, the comic book aspect of it, I think it really delivers with, you know, the, with just the whole Father's Day bit and everything. But yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite of the bunch, but you're, you're always going to have something that's not your favorite, you know. I just loved that one. That was my second favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we did the, I think when we did like some anthology piece on Consequence, they picked like the best segment for each one and they picked that one. I remember like editing it and being like, oh, this is fucking sick. <laughs> not it. <laughs> Should have been the crate. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's head under the stairs. It's easier if I just I'll show you, I think. Come on down. What's this? Well, this is pretty easy uh this is a section that uh, we talk about the scariest moments uh jen you already outlined one you hate the bugs um (laughs) (laughs) i i for me it's the overall tone i I think that this as i mentioned before it's a merciless world um with evil in all corners and as a kid that really got me i gotta go with the something that passed the tide just Mm. the idea of being buried in sand I just remember when I first watched that, it was so uncomfortable. And I, and I have some claustrophobia stuff, but man, I, I, I just, you know, that is the way, that is the worst way to go out because it's, it's such a slow burn of a death. And uh, I was just, I was really frustrated. <laughs> I was really upset that, you know, the good guys were essentially getting killed. Eh, you know, good guys, I don't know, I guess they're you know, cheating on them. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, that definitely yeah yeah well um that really <laughs> stuck with me i think um uh, the i think the last father's day scare where he opens the door and you see him there with the head on the plate i think that's really effective still uh and i don't know there's a lot more, oh oh content for um <laughs> scary in terms of continuity uh, i was really upset that that the ashtray used in the first sequence is shown in every single uh, door. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's a haunted actually, ashtray. I actually like that. I actually noticed yeah. that this time. I like and it's, that. And apparently it's but, been uh, in every Creepshow TV show episode, too. Oh, really? Before, yeah. Oh, that's great. Daniel, what scared well, you? Well, I've, I've got two, and the first one is the same one. I think there's something really upsetting about... Um, the being buried in the sand. And I think, I think you mentioned it earlier when you were saying that it felt smutty. There's mm-hmm. something, uh, mm-hmm. there's something the fact that you're seeing it recorded and played in this little black and white TV that makes it feel like a snuff film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like it yeah. feels, it feels particularly <clears throat> dirty in a way. Like it's not just a death in a movie. It's a death that's being recorded. It yeah. makes it gives an extra <clears throat> level of ickiness. Um, and then secondly, I would just go to one we mentioned earlier, the end of um, Jordi Vero, because you've got this, you've got this funny character who's playing a cartoon character who you love. And it's like watching, you know, Daffy Duck commit suicide at the end of an episode. It's yeah. just like, it's like, it feels like wildly inappropriate. And uh-huh. um, therefore I love it, of course. Uh, but it's just like, God, mm-hmm. that's just so harsh. It's really harsh. And it's yep. the segment is so hopeless. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. says, you know, I touched, I touched that green stuff and I'm a goner. And he's exactly right. Like there's no hope in that episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and then they even 
kind of hint that the whole world's going to get it because <laughs> the rain, it's like the weather is perfect for, you know, growing <laughs> crops and stuff, which is bye-bye Castle Rock. But, uh, uh, yeah. Jen, what about cool. you? Yeah, I, I like that. Too. I <laughs> yeah, I, I love that keep little... main green. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, um, Jen, what else uh, got into your skin? Well, the I love when Ed Harris is in the cemetery, and it's just so creepy. And it's like that level of like Halloween fun creepiness mm-hmm. that I just love. Um, and I think that kind of goes with the like the visual colors and kind of the the surreal quality of it. But yeah, it's the Tide Me Over one. I was watching that, and I knew exactly what was going to happen, and I'd even seen parts of it. And I still found myself like feeling very claustrophobic when I was watching Ted Danson in the sand. And I was like, well, can I like trying to think if I could move when I was there? And then as he watches, um, I, what's her, I don't know. What Galen Ross. Is. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so as, tragic. Like, Oh, it's and like to watch that happen to the woman that you love. Yeah. No, it's about to happen to you. And I just like the moment when the camera is on the beach and the water is just coming right towards his face i just remember thinking it just really upset me it's really cruel yeah it really is is. and to have leslie nielsen who is this person that i love because Mm -hmm. i grew up watching the naked gun and like hot shots like narrating what's going to happen to him and like you got to take a breath and like but not too fast and don't panic and it just really upset me a lot more than i thought it was going to that that was the scene that i came across when i was younger and like the the cruelty of it and the the fact that no one's doing anything and like the fact that he had to watch like that really stuck with me like it, mm-hmm. it, it is haunting like those two tv sets and and also just the setup is so surreal and especially like for me it was i i woke i literally had woken up so to wake up to that and it's already surreal enough it looks like a goddamn pink floyd album cover yeah that gets that gets that gets me and also you know shout out to tom savini but the exploding body with the, the cockroaches is so oh, gross. Yeah. And like, Ooh. it's so disgusting when you see it like on the face and in the forehead. And like, it's just, it still gets me. And, and they have with, blood on them. Yeah. It's so gross. fucking disgusting. And like, I, every time, every time. And it's the paranoia, you know, there's obviously the commentary of what it means and, and, and everything, but just from a literal sense, I mean, I'm dealing with like some flies in the house right now. Like when you're just killing one and you look over and there's another one and it's just like, I, it, maybe it's because I ha- literally just watched this, but it really did capture the mania. <laughs> of, like when you see another one, you're like, why are you doing? And you like, you just, you don't, you lose all sense of comfort. Yeah. And it's your world is just taken away from you. And Romero does a great job. And it's, you know, it, it's so much better than the original idea that they had, which was, I think it was gonna be like a carpeted penthouse. I love the fact that it's this weird postmodern, Sterilized environment. sterile yeah. hospital mm-hmm. thing. I, it, it's so disgusting. And he has that little button, it's just the loss of control here is just, uh, woo. I was watching um, this and I was like, is this like a found footage kind of precursor, you know? Cause like when I'm looking at the screen, I was like scanning it to see if I could find any of the, the roaches around, you know? Like, yeah. Huh. like the way I find myself doing paranormal activity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I say also the, anytime the crate monster attacks, especially mm-hmm. that first one, because- The face? Uh, Mike, Mike yeah, seems yeah. like such a nice guy. Yeah, and just tearing through the <laughs> face and everything though. Yeah, that too. Oh. Uh, love his eye. The eye's already like busted. Um, so just, uh, yeah. But just when you see the monster's eyes, mm-hmm. like I just remember being so God, frightened of that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I think that's great, yeah. Well, praise yeah. upon the fear that we all have as kids that there's something under the stairs, mm-hmm. you know? And it's so perfect. And that like this is, it's also, so, again, it's so surreal too. Cause it's like, what the hell is this box doing there? 
you know it's just been there the whole time like that at this random university it's so odd and that was like always the most perplexing thing to me growing up um you know i'm ocd and stuff so i just sit there just being like what is that why is the box there the whole time like how did it feed and like <laughs> did it, is it just so hungry and that's why i was no, angry it was and, dormant you know, mike it was dormant yeah uh, yeah I love it. That's, just, that's one thing that i think this show um the creep show tv show has done a good job at is uh not explaining things mm-hmm. like there's there's that just the way it is you know there's this finger that goes to a monster yeah. deal with it yeah. <laughs> i love that uh, anytime you have to explain anything it's like no um you know and you you know daniel you mentioned something in your intro for night of the living dead um about how romero hated the fact that like people wanted the explanation or like there was that one mention of the satellite and everyone like took that as the reason for you know why the dead walk but it, it and it's so frustrating because like it's so much better when you don't know and that you don't have any yeah reason. when we worked on the novel like his his manuscript made it very clear that we just, were never going to answer that question love it because it, once so, you do that that's what it's about yeah mm-hmm. it, it loses all like metaphorical value oh totally mm-hmm. totally um i wish more horror movies today would would just learn from that and just be like look let's just keep the lights off um well we're going to turn the lights on for our next segment um probably just for a short bit because there's not really much even though it was written by king uh we're going to talk about the connections uh to king's dominion in a section we like to call you guessed it king's dominion Oh, you done it now, Jordy Farrell. You monkhead. All right, I scoured this movie today. I just combed through all of it. The only thing I could think of that has any remote connection to other Stephen King works is just the mention of Castle Rock at the end of the Jordy Farrell thing. I, I, I couldn't think of any. Oh, I got one. Oh, really? Yeah, Arnie's parents work at Horlicks University, I think. Arnie oh, Hanningham yes. and Christine. Oh. Yes, I knew there was a connection to uh, Pittsburgh somehow. Yeah, um, I think that's is- the only other character. I wanted to think, I was thinking I know what you need. Is it Horlicks or Strawberry Spring? But I'm, I would have to check that. But is that a flash forward, though? Like, did it start with Creepshow and then they, he added it? Mm, could be. That Wait, doesn't mean, it's not, a, doesn't mean it's not a connection, though. That doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't, yeah I can't remember. Yeah, that. you're right. Okay, yeah. But that's yeah, really fun. still fun, yeah. Yeah, because it came around, I think Christine was, Christine was 83, right? It was like 82, 83. Um, Christine is 83. Yeah. yeah. So it's right around the time. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, he's probably writing it around then, yeah. I feel like Horlicks comes up so much. Like, I've. Yeah. And it's so weird how many ties are just like in that thing like the crate itself is like tied to like the thing um with the antarctica expedition and all like i just love that those little easter eggs and stuff but mm-hmm. um which is ed harris being in this and being in a bunch of other stuff <laughs> ed harris. <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah i guess ed harris would be the only link to the other king one the king work so like i was trying to think of anything else that i don't think of any like, i just can't think of any off the I top of my head, really. I think that's it. Which is so weird because he wrote all of them. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that this is this is and this is the year that he wrote the Dark Tower, like or kicked off the Dark mm. Tower. So you'd think, like, come on, King, um, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, all right. Well, does anyone have any other? No. No, no. That's that's all I had. All right. Well, let's go to a fun section. <laughs> it's the, the most ridiculous section of this episode uh, <laughs> called the Creep Show. <laughs> 
Please, we, we gotta stop. We gotta stop. Stop what? people to tell already. We gotta do Christ, they die. Hey, Dex, Dex. Hold it. What happened? All right. Daniel, you do not have to partake in this if you don't want to. <laughs> this is where we okay. just, we go over some quotes. Uh, we say some quotes. We try to redo them ourselves and act them out. Max sent over some in the email before. We don't have to do all of them. I think we could, for brevity's sake, we could probably just do maybe like one or two. I, th- I think fun. we could start off by just talking about our, some of our favorite quotes. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. because some of them are just short, you know. That's true. That's true. Well, hey, kick it off, Max. Love the Jordi the Jordy Verrill line where he's uh Verrill's luck's always in and you spell that kind of luck B A G. Still I gotta try. Your shit. <laughs> I mean I don't see anybody else in that role. I can't imagine anyone right. else yeah. doing those lines and selling them like, you know, you're like, oh wow, Steve, like if people only knew this is how your brain worked and this is how your character spoke. Like, what if that's totally how all of them life. are in his mind? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's how he sees Stu, you know. What are the approach like Orson Welles at the time? Say, hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stu Redman is actually uh, Jordy. Uh, no, 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 it's like, but uh, like you go like, hey, uh, Orson Welles, look, we want, we got a, we got a character, Jordy Verrill. Why don't you come in and play it? Here are some lines that Stephen wrote. Uh, just, <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I mean, for me, it's, it's everything Bill, uh, Billy says. I, I just, I, I, yeah. I think they're so funny and it's just so insane. Like, I love when she grabs the, um, you know, the total just loafs that came into the party and haven't had a drink yet. And it's just like, ah, oh, you need, you know, she like runs up to the table and it's like, they're dry. You better you get them a drink or whatever. And like, you can just tell they're just so like, uh, I don't know who this person is. Like, it's just <laughs> like, it's just the way that she just strips down uh how holbrook is just phenomenal um you know i i'm trying to think like I'm trying to think of any lines that like come out but like i mean shit for brains is obviously the big one i mean it's so vulgar uh mm-hmm. some of the more you know iconic lines of this that again goes into the pulpiness of it but um jen what about you what were uh what were some lines that uh spoke to you um, well, I really wanted cake while I was watching this because there's the yeah. I want my cake. Um, <clears throat> That's great. But one of the ones that from Jordy Verrill that cracked me up is when he's about to take a bath and he says, oh, no, not there. When he yeah. realizes <laughs> <laughs> like there's green stuff other places, too. Um, I also wrote I can't remember who said this, but I wrote been off on a hell of a toot. And I'm going to have to start incorporating that <laughs> into my everyday language. And then in the very last one, he says, everybody's got the damn herpes these days. <laughs> Which is so, like, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. His, yeah. his uh, oh God, everything that EG says in that final segment is so fucking good. Yeah. Um, I've given Stephen King a lot of shit for his dialogue in the past, but this is kind of the time when it works really well because it just fits the, the tone, you know? Yeah. 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 I love everything Billy's father says. I'm going to do, I'm going to take this one, Mac. Uh, yeah, uh, Billy's father, he's like, I, I've told you before. I don't, I don't want you to read this crap. I never saw such rotten crap in my life. Where do you get this shit? Who sells it to you? I'm talking to you, young man. Answer me when I talk to you. Remember who puts the bread on the goddamn table around here? Like, it's just <laughs> like, so who would vitriolic. Say that to a kid? I know. Who really says that to a kid? Like, the kid's going to understand. What I mean, the, my what dad's an that? asshole, but he, would, he never got to that level before. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, um, 
yeah. well, you know, he has to be that. He has to be that mean for you to really buy into the voodoo at the end. Oh, <laughs> you're like, yeah, yes, you're right earned. there with that kid. You're like, kill that fucker. You know who you remind me of? You remind me of um, uh, the God, I'm gonna, I don't remember his name, but um, he plays a cop in Seinfeld. But he's like John Goodman Jr. in uh, ha- Halloween uh, Curse of Michael Myers. And like, he's like our introduction to his character. It's like, uh, I think it's uh, John Strode's, uh, John Strode is it, I think his name is. Um, he's oh, just like yeah, taking yeah. the ax to the sign. He's like, I'm sick of this Michael Myers bullshit. And like, he's just like, <laughs> it just reminds me of like, all right, so these dads probably would have really gotten along at the bar. Like, <laughs> it's like, I got my, my bastard son at home. Um, oh. Daniel, what about you? What are, what are some quotes that, uh, that when you think of Creepshow, or like maybe what's the first? I, I think most of the good quotes are from uh, Jordy Verrill. Like those, he's yeah. so quotable. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Meteor shit and all that. Um, that I, I guess the one that, that I think about, there's two I think about, and they're both from uh, Leslie Nielsen. There's the, yeah. it's showtime. And he says that a couple times, and it's really kind of spooky. <laughs> and then for, for no one else in the world would ever point this out, but for some reason, the way Leslie Nielsen says uh, Ted Danson's character's name always sticks with him. He goes, Wentworth. Yeah. Wentworth. <laughs> Wentworth. Little boy, I have the gun. Just, there's something about the way he says Wentworth. It just rings in my head. Uh, and I, I, and I, I love that, though. And I, I love his line that I can hold, uh, I can hold my breath a long, long time too. Like mm-hmm. it's so, yeah. That's such a comic book line. Like mm-hmm. something so out of, and and especially like, so the original ending of this was actually supposed to be where um, they catch the, they like that the police come. Which I, this would have been so stupid, but like the police come, they look at the the footage and they see that like it was him confessing to all the kills and everything, and then it actually ends with him in a gas chamber. And him saying, like, I can hold my breath a long, long time or whatever, which seems more Tales from the Crypt than anything else, especially the first episode of Tales from the Crypt. But, like, um, I, it definitely hammers down that line a little bit more. But I, I really do love him, like, the, the, how they do it and the fact that he, like, ends with him in the water. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. And then just, and just the, the Wentworths, when, they, when they're coming for him, and they're, like, essentially right yeah. in front of him saying, here we come, Richard. Let's yeah. go to the beach. And just mm-hmm. like, just like casually talking to him, and it's just terrifying. It's just mm-hmm. ugh, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the part where they're creeping through his house is really effective, I think, too. And the yeah. the, the effect they put on their voices and that as the yeah. zombies—it's so mm-hmm. creepy. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I, I guess so. Um, Ted Danson did like a random roles for AV Club, and they asked him about this role, and. Uh, the thing he said was that like, well, to get the effect when you're underwater, I guess they put his head into like a fishing pole, like a, like a fish tank. And so they actually had to have like all the sand that was like glued in there and all. And so they, you know, they filmed it outside with like the thing. And so he literally had to like be underwater for like long periods of time for these, these, these shots. I was wondering about that. That's the only way that I would probably want to be able to do it because at any given time you can either just, tip that water over or pull your head out. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, no, if, if it got to a point where you were uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I would be. Yeah. I think he was able to just like kind of get out like um, uh, pretty fast, but it would have been great if they just, you know, buried both. Just killed him. <laughs> yeah, we're actually going to put you in the sand here. It's okay. Look, you'll be back for season two. You didn't two. read this in your contract. Yeah. Yet, so this is going to be your last film. Uh, yeah. He's like, I got to get back to the bar. Uh, Frazier's coming. Oh, well, that's it for the creep show then <laughs> let's uh let's move on to our you overall thoughts the bite marks henry 
I guess he got his chance. I totally guess he did. I can't do anything for you unless you stop being so goddamn elliptical. Now, just slow down. Tell me the whole story from the beginning. Can you do that? Can we say? I love Creep Show. Jen, this is your first time watch. I'm interested to hear. What are your overall thoughts? Yeah, this was so much fun. Um, I think the first half of it, I think I absolutely loved. And I have a couple more problems with the second half. But like, it, it was just, it was really fun. It was a great Halloween watch. I think I texted you, like, this is going into my Halloween rotation yeah. every year. I feel like it's a great kind of background watch also, you know. Um, just, it was so much fun. Like, you can feel, like, the love in this movie. And it's it was just, I had it was a hell of a toot to watch. Well, if we're, we're rating this as we do with the book episodes from one to five Pennywise, a bright mm. red Pennywise clown noses. What they, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, we don't? No. Oh, we do. Five, it's five nails in the crate. Oh, that's oh, what it is. Five right. nails so in the crate. I, one to five, five nails in the crate. We have like right. eight different rating systems. So <laughs> I, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, and so five you is got the five best. nails to work with. Yeah. All five right. is the best because we're keeping the, the, the creature at bay. Although we, uh. spoiler alert, we know he gets out. Uh-oh. He's going to get out regardless. Well, I mean, I guess you have to be a five to keep him in the crate the whole time. Um, I, I think I'm going to give this a four and a half nails in the crate. If there was an extended scene of Wilma coming back and killing Hal Holbrook, I would give it five. <laughs> so when that is shot, <laughs> it'll give five nails it, for me. But yeah. four. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you, you would have hated the original ending, which is oh, apparently, yeah. I guess, Savini wanted it so that when the, the box opens in the water, like her body parts float out also. Oh, yeah. Which would have been a little, that would have been a much. Uh, yeah, uh, just a little uh, much. Hey, yeah, and you know, she no. came back for the show, so they could easily just film that and drop it in. Yeah, you know? she could be a zombie. Then you get a five like, for me, you know? Yeah, I like that, I like that. There's actually a sequel floating around out there where the crate monster marries Billy. Oh, really? Hey, you know, maybe he'll appreciate her. Yeah, well, they, they, they get uh, Joe Hill's uh, voodoo doll and bring Vilma back uh, through that oh. way. Oh, um, oh anyway. yeah, that sounds like a testament to good episode. It does. It does. <laughs> Mac, what, what's uh, what are your overall thoughts? And oh, uh, this is a for me. This is a four and a half nails in the crate, and uh, throw throw some cockroaches on there. I think uh, <laughs> it, it holds up so well. It's so super entertaining all the way through. I was kind of dreading re the rewatch because I just I had a lot of stuff going on that day, and I I just had such a blast, and I just totally forgot about everything that I was doing. And really just, you know, got into it. And I just forgot how fun it is and how, how much it really does capture that, that kind of Halloween spirit. And so to be watching it like midway through the month here was kind of perfect. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So for me, it's four, four and a half nails in the crate. Got two, four and a half. Daniel, how many nails are you giving it? Oh, you're muted. I was just saying, I'm not going to fuck around here. Five <laughs> nails. Um, yeah. This is qu quite simply one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I can't, I like last night, I did not have time to watch it, but I thought I'd throw it on and just try to, you know, I haven't seen it in a few years. And I mean, I watched the whole thing and I don't think I've had more fun all month. And I've been watching horror movies <sighs> most nights. Like it's just, I love this movie wholeheartedly and it's it's not just nostalgia i just i think it's um a, a nearly perfect movie and it is something that someone said you could put it on in the background 
uh, it is a great movie just to show someone who's kind of just getting, you know, feet wet in horror because Mm -hmm. it does have a sense of fun to it. And there's something kind of for everyone. Like the, the stories change up so relatively quickly and they're so high caliber in quality. Um, I, I am really only obsessed with two movies in life and that's Night Living Dead and Creepshow. And, um, (laughs) and I, I have, I, I don't, I really don't feel like there's, it's nostalgia bothering me. Like, I think this is a genuine kind of unique masterpiece that that you could set very few other films next to that catch, capture this kind of tone. That's so, so scary and so funny and, and, it's weird. The word we keep coming up with is love. Like you can feel the love in this thing, mm-hmm. yeah. which is not something you can say about a lot of even horror classics. I don't know that you can, you can say, you know, even something that's unimpeachably classic, like you could say, you know, the exorcist or something and say, you feel the love. Now you feel <laughs> the love here. Like mm-hmm. people are having a blast and it is always a blast to watch. agree. Five nails for me. Perfect distillation of just everything that I love about Stephen King and everything that influenced King and all the masters of horror involved in this. I I mean, Daniel, you're right. This is love. Like it's, it's the love for horror comes through in here and it is a gateway movie. For me, it's my favorite horror anthology film juggles the tones in ways that no films in horror can really. I mean, it's wild. I mean, because you're not just talking about comedy and horror. You're talking about, pretty much all mediums of horror from the short stories to the, the to the rags, to the, 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 the comic books, to, you know, to the midnight movie. And this is the ultimate midnight movie. So just a cut above the rest and a cut that I feel very few, if any, will ever come close to matching. So that's it, kitties. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> time to head out of the basement and uh, stash the comics away. Uh, Daniel, what is next for you? Uh, you mean tonight or just in oh, general? just in general? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've got this comic book that the first issue has just come out called the Autumnal. Um, that's viewers or listeners can't see it, but there's awesome. Sort of a oh, cool. Um, cool. And uh, then it's an eight issue uh, comic, so that'll come out every. The second issue comes out at the end of October, and then the be a monthly schedule. And then I just published a book called They Threw Us Away, which is part of a trilogy for kids, actually, called The Teddy Saga, which is a, um, it's kind of, it's about teddy bears, which seems out of step with me, but you have to trust me on this, it's not. Um, it is the, the darkest teddy bear tale of all time. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. And it's for kids, but it is genuinely, I think, pretty unsettling. So um, gather the kids around and freak them <laughs> Love out. Love it. Love it. God, you're busy. Yeah. This is, this is, you might be the busiest person I've, I've talked to during the pandemic in terms of like output right now. It's just I, awesome. I had five books come out in 12 months, which yeah. is, I mean, it's absolutely insane. And I would never do this again. It was like, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> typically you're not even allowed to do such a thing, but all five projects just, just by weird happenstance were all radically different audience. If you had kids, adults, graphic novels, crime, young adult. So it's just like, it all happened sort of at once. Uh, that's amazing. Well, congrats. And uh, you know, where can our listeners uh, find you? Though? I would just say go to danielkraus.com and that'll have the links to everything else. Sweet. Sounds good. Sounds good. Speaking of which, 
What a seg. Uh, if you haven't already, please follow us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you haven't already, please, 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 double please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really love some bright red Pennywise clown noses or nails. Um, whatever you prefer <laughs> when it comes to ratings, the Losers Club. Um, because we deserve it. We are your favorite. We are your devoted. We are your only Losers Club. Uh, until then, we'll be seeing you over long days. This is the end of our show for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>